The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Monday morning. Holy crap! What just happened? I wasn't even planning on doing an episode today because, you know, Warriors-Lakers, which is the mega series, resumes tonight. And then James Harden, after... Reverting to postseason, James Harden had in game four a must win. Philadelphia staring its demise for the season and staring all sorts of postseason implications of James Harden and Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers staring it all in the face. Has maybe his second greatest postseason game of all time. A few days after having his greatest postseason game of all time, hits a game winning corner three on a bizarre defensive sequence from the Celtics, followed by an even more bizarre failure to get a shot off by a millisecond Marcus Smart. Oh my God. And then you kind of exhale, you go have your dinner. There's a dinner break between games. Okay, Nuggets, Suns, that's fun. We're going to see some scoring. And then Nikola Jokic shoves Matt Ishbia at the end of the second quarter with Matt Ishbia holding the ball for some reason, holding the ball. And then before we get into any legality analysis, the the all-time best flop by a non-player that I can recall, he looked like he looked like like a grandpa. After a long day gardening, plopping into his recliner, just ah, hands up, mouth agape. It just incredible work by Matt Ishbia, who then realizes all the cameras are going to be on him and his stone face, like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just unbelievable. Oh, and by the way, um, Devin Booker hasn't missed a shot in three weeks. The Suns won 129 to 124. Nikola Jokic had 53 points. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant combined for 72 points, one game after combining for 86 points. And that series is tied to two. Kurt Goldsberry, what the hell is going on? Oh, my God, the playoffs. The playoffs are back. <laughs> one of the best playoff days uh, in years. That was such a magnificent demonstration of why we love the NBA. That, that Suns-Nuggets game had everything, man. It was just heavyweight fight uh, it had the the sort of weird off-court drama where do you want to begin zach that was one of the best sundays we've had in the nba in a long time where are we starting dude well first of all nick's heat you resume tonight we will get to you kind of a boring game three with jimmy butler coming back a blowout heat win lakers warriors we will get to you you resume tonight a uh, great massive Game three, destruction by the Lakers after Darvin Ham switched up his defensive assignments, putting Austin Reeves on Steph Curry and Jared Vanderbilt on Draymond Green to switch the Steph-Draymond pick and roll. Those, when, when Jeff Van Gundy and I previewed the series on this podcast, those are the matchups I predicted the Lakers would use, and I look like a fool for two games. Now they are using those, and now we'll see how the Warriors counter. I think the Warriors counter is just going to have to be more Draymond at center without Jermichael Green and just more shooting. But we'll get to that series later. We got to start with Suns Nuggets. And we got to start We got to start with the, the shove flop heard around the world. The Sambor um, shover. I can't. No, I can't abide no. by that. We're going to win. The Sambor shuffle 
is a Jokic shot. That's that should be the only Sombor thing that we have. So, Kirk, there is now another should he be suspended debate after the Draymond Green should he be suspended debate against Sacramento. And I came down on the I did not want Draymond did not 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 want Draymond suspended. He was. They won the series anyway. Um, and there is hearkening back to the karmic justice of the 2007 Suns against your beloved Spurs and the Robert Ory hip check of Steve Nash, in which several Suns, including Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw, were subsequently suspended, uh, leading to kind of a letdown series win for the Spurs after what had been a barn burner. Um, and they were suspended for leaving the bench during an altercation, a hard and fast black and white rule that was ironically written into the league rules after another brawl in Phoenix involving the Knicks and the Suns when Greg Anthony zoomed off the bench in the ugliest shirt that anyone has ever worn to an NBA game, which is a high standard, and sucker-punched Kevin Johnson. And so here we are all these years later with now Suns fans saying, well, hold on, if that was, a, if that was an automatic suspension and Jokic touched a fan, now Matt Ishbia is not really a fan. He's the owner of the Phoenix Suns. And I actually think that cuts toward Jokic's advantage and the Nuggets' advantage in this case. He's not a normal fan. He should know better than to hold the ball like he's on the side of the playground and the ball just rolled to him. And just like, I get to keep this thing for a little while. But that's it. We'll, we'll set that aside for a second. Jokic touched a fan. Another fan was thrown out. He, I'm not sure he, quote-unquote, entered the stands, but he entered an area where the crowd could touch him and he could touch the crowd. He was assessed a technical foul. Tony Brothers later said after the game that he deliberately shoved a quote-unquote fan. I like how everyone had to pretend that it was just a fan. He shoved a fan. Just say who it was. And so here we are with this potential idea that the league could suspend Nikola Jokic for Game 5. And Kirk, it's not an exaggeration to say the NBA championship could rest on this ruling to the degree that there is going to be any kind of ruling. Certainly this series could rest on this ruling because yes, Denver's going home. Yes, they're play- they've played a good series. The Suns have played an outstanding last two games. I just, home, it doesn't matter where the game is. If Jokic doesn't play, I don't think they can beat the Phoenix Suns in, in, in any one game in which the Suns are playing full throttle to win. And then that would give the Suns a 3-2 lead heading home. I mean, whether you think the winner of this series is the favorite in the next series, the favorite in the finals, whatever it is, it's de facto true that a suspension of Nikola Jokic for Game 5 could tilt the NBA championship. Do you think he should be suspended? Hell no. No, I would be very disappointed. I love how you connected the dots with the, the 2007 thing. That, that, they just, that would just be a big letdown, the word you used. Uh, I mean, Jokic painted a masterpiece in spite of whatever happened on the sideline there. What do you have? 50 something and 11 and best player on the court, except for Devin Booker, who I'm sure we're going to talk about. You can't do it. And one of the things I love about Matt Ishbia is people forget he's a national champion. He played for the Michigan state Spartans uh, in a, in a very deep reserve role when they won the national championship, he played uh, with Morris Peterson and, and, and Mateen Cleaves and that team, the dude knows his way around ball. He's not just some random finance owner. He 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 felt natural with the ball in his hand. I don't think he was doing anything trolly, but he might have been. He might have been. I'll allow for it. Uh, he looked to me like he was just concerned about Josh Akoji, who just careened into the 
to the seats and look, looking for the health and, and, and well-being of that player. Uh, and if, if Jokic was out of line on anything, it was like sort of storming over there and demanding the basketball be returned to the playing surface while Koji's still, uh, you know, being tended to there. No, short answer, no. Let's see game five. That was, let's not lose sight of it. That was one of my favorite basketball games in years, period. Uh, two masterpieces, if not three, if you count like Durant and Jamal Murray's play and, and, and the bench play. This is a great series. I just want everybody whole going back to Denver for what promises to be maybe the best game five uh, of this whole playoffs. Let's not screw with that. So, so um, on NBA Today last Friday, we we talked about the state of of Suns Nuggets and what Chris Paul's absence would mean um, would mean for the Suns. And CJ McCollum was on the show and he said, "Yeah, you know, I think the Damian Lees and Terrence Rosses and TJ Warrens of the world, the Suns role players, will need." will need to step up. And they did, and the Suns went all in on shooting, which has been the right move for them. We'll talk about that. And I said, look, CJ, that's cool, man. I guess they do have to step up. Here's the reality. I think Booker and Durant are going to have to combine for 70 points in all these games for them to win. And that's a tall order, and they exceeded it in both games. I just want to, before we get back to legal legalese, here are the stats for the three best players in this series through four games. Nikola Jokic, 36.5 points on 57% shooting, 9.5 assists, 14 rebounds. 36.5, 14 and 9 and a half. Devin Booker, 36.3 points on 64% shooting, 57% on threes, 9 assists as he's playing point book almost full time now, 5 rebounds. Kevin Durant just checking in at a quiet 32 a game <laughs> on 47% shooting. I mean, what these three guys are doing is absolute insanity, possession by possession by possession. So here's the deal. You want the deal? I don't think Jokic should be suspended, and I don't think he will be suspended. Should we go through the the precedent and the legalities to the degree that it exists? Yeah, I mean... I hope I hope you're right. And my favorite Devin Booker stat pulled by our friend Matt Williams at ESPN. Devin Booker has 331 points in the 2023 playoffs, the most through a player's first nine games of a postseason since Michael Jordan in 1990. He is shooting over his last two games 78 uh, percent. His his stat line in the last two games looks like a Patrick Mahomes. Super Bowl stat line for passing. He's like 38-45 or something ridiculous. He, in a series where Jokic is playing maybe one of his best series of all time, uh, is the best player. So Devin Booker has elevated his game. And yes, anything, I'll be territorial of this series and protective. I will be outraged if they suspend Jokic just for basketball reasons, just as a fan who can't wait to watch these guys play again uh, in game five. So I don't I don't think anything should happen like you said. I don't think anything will happen. And I'd also add, I pray that nothing happens. Favorite little moment of announcing moment of game four was when Spiro Davis said um that Booker had was thirty two of forty on his last forty shots. It made thirty two of his yeah. last forty shots. And Grant Hill's brain yeah. like broke for half a second. He was like wait, hold up, what? And like the game was going on and Grant Hill couldn't process thirty two of forty. Um so here's the deal. 
the the leaving the bench during an altercation thing that's a rule that's a clear written rule you are automatically suspended this is not that this is a distinct situation for which there is no clear hard and fast rule or hard and fast precedent every year the league sends all 30 teams in the players union something called a player conduct memo the memo is referenced in the cba it's not in the cba but it's referenced in the cba and it outlines all the kind of penalties for violence in the game and all the things that are discouraged and so here here's the relevant language it, it, to the degree that any of this is really relevant I mean, there's no there's no clear sort of um, guidance on this particular thing, but there is a, let me find it. Um, any player who deliberately enters the spectator stands during a game will be automatically ejected and subject to a fine and or suspension. If a player, blah, 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 the first row of the seats is considered the beginning of the stands. Now, Jokic was not ejected. That's over. He stayed in the game. Suns won the game. So that part's over. Whether you think he entered the stands or didn't enter the stands, where the stands exists, what is life, what constitutes, you know, whatever, like whatever, wherever you fall on when the stands begin, the language in there is not automatic suspension as it is for the players leaving the bench during an altercation. It is fine and or suspension. Later in the memo, item number nine, players are prohibited from stimulating or encouraging crowd disorder this has been flagged for me by multiple people today any player who engages in such misconduct will be subject to a technical foul ejection again that did not happen a fine not to exceed fifty thousand dollars and or a suspension so again whether you think that that's what Jokic did and that is a section that was flagged for me again it's not a black and white suspension it's not it's a fine and or suspension and furthermore as I prepare my closing argument, if you go look at the history to the, to the degree that it exists of player-fan physical touching confrontations that are not like the malice in the palace, a fine is typically what happens. So I think the most relevant precedent I could find during a 2015 Bulls-Cavs playoff game, Joakim Noah was walking through the tunnel after the game. And a fan sitting right above that railing that overlooks the tunnel said something he didn't like. And Noah reached up and kind of slapped him on the shoulder. Fine. $25,000. Fine. Um, That was the closest one I could find. There was also a few years ago. Remember Yusuf Nurkic took a fan's phone and threw it against the Indiana Pacers? That was a fine, not a suspension. So I think the precedent here leads toward fine, especially when you consider... This is not a normal fan. He should not have been holding the ball. Jokic maybe shouldn't have gone to take it from him, but it's just a completely bizarre situation that did not escalate. Neither one of them really went to escalate it unless you include, unless you really care about that little chicken wing. I don't think he should be suspended. I don't think he will be suspended, especially in light of Matt Ishbia just tweeting as we are on this podcast. Great win for the Suns last night in an amazing series so far. Darn right, Matt. That should be and is the only story. Suspending or finding anyone over last night's incident would not be right. I have a lot of respect for Jokic and don't want to see anything like that. Excited for Game 5. Go, Suns. By the way, thumbs up Matt Ishbia for not right. trying to not <clears throat> trying to win this series with, with a suspension. So I think all the legal analysis that I just went through this morning is now null and void given that the owner of the Suns, who was shoved and flopped, 
has called for no suspension. I think this is going to be much ado about nothing, and I hope that's true. It should be, and I would say I didn't know about that language until you read it. It's almost like, do you really want to make these things like so cut and dry that now you painted yourself into a corner NBA league office? Then now you can have you're going to have people on the Suns, maybe not Ishbia, but other back channeling people going to the league. Hey, didn't this memo? Uh, isn't this isn't this the letter of the law here? Isn't this thing? Isn't it, so they could be playing good cop, bad cop. I hope that Ishbia's sort of sentiment plays out and wins out here. But that, that language you read is actually pretty intriguing um, because, Zach, I'd ask you this, you know, now that you've read that multiple times and you're hearing from multiple people, if they followed the letter of the law here, wouldn't this mean a suspension? No, no, I don't. This? I disagree. Okay. I, I, the oh. fine and or suspension gives them okay. the wiggle room to just make it a fine. And the precedent I cited with Noah specifically is a fine and Nurkic is a fine. I don't think I don't think. Again, the fine and or suspension to me yeah. gives them the out to just say it's the, a fine, just fine them. That's the it. The ejection part of that was also interesting that you were reading because that seems to me like they should have ejected Jokic last night, which have also would have been a travesty. Let me be clear. <laughs> that was a bad scene, and I, I don't know. But the, the other thing with the ball that I think is, is telling is Matt Ishbia holding the ball. If that ball comes to me or you, we're probably getting rid of it as fast as we can in that moment. Like, I I'm don't definitely not, I'm thing. definitely not holding it. Like, <laughs> yeah. it takes a special person, a special fan with a lot of juice to feel like they should be holding the basketball in that moment. So, uh, but yeah, I think hey, it's, look, it's, I, yeah. I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you this. There are people who work for the Suns who saw that tweet, probably knew he was going to tweet it and said, Damn, can we at least leave the door a little bit open? Because I don't really care how we win this damn thing. If we win it, that's all that people are going to really remember. Can we just win? But those people hopefully are going are gonna to lose this uh, litigation. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Can we talk about the series now? Well, it would be nice to, yeah. So to me, the biggest changes, there are three of them, that, that juice the Suns offense back up to 
it's it beyond its normal levels. After struggling in Denver, they scored 128 points per 100 possessions yep. <laughs> in Phoenix. And they did it, by the way, with a shot selection that is no different than it has been for the entirety of the playoffs. Not a lot of threes, nothing at the basket, not a lot of free throws, tons of mid-range jumpers. It's not a sea change in that in that way. So here are the three things. Number one, without Chris Paul, they ran like all hell. Every chance they got, they played faster. And if you look at the data, they're they're faster by a second or almost two in some cases off misses, off makes, off turnovers um, in these games versus the first two games. And that's, I think, there's some, at least some linkage there between not having Chris Paul and playing faster. Uh, it also shifted all of the ball handling to Booker and Durant, but much more so Booker, which took away the lone segment of drop-back coverage that the Nuggets had decided they could play with Jokic in the series, which was against Chris Paul. Everything was two on the ball. Change number two linked to that. Monty Williams said, if we're going down, we're going down with our shooters. That's it. Josh Okoge, your minutes are going to be limited if they're just helping off you. Um, and there's going to be no Tory Craig, no Ish Wainwright. It's going to be Terrence Ross. It's going to be TJ Warren. It's going to be Landry Shamit, who was just absolutely massive with five or six threes, I think five in uh, in game four the other night. And we're just going to spread you out. We're going to spread you out. And all of those, you're making really long rotations, Denver. You've been on point the whole series. Your timing's been on point. The more stress we put on you, the quicker it's got to be the longer the rotations have to be, the more your timing is going to wobble a little bit. And there's going to be a little bit of wobbling and a little bit of a, a little bit of uh-oh. And, and when you double Devin Booker, when Devin Booker has Michael Porter Jr. on him and you're doubling that every time when he gets that cross match because Booker's guarding Michael Porter Jr. on the other end, well, now those doubles are pain. Those doubles are swing, swing, open three from a good shooter. When you double Durant in the post... Swing, swing, open three from a good shooter. And we are betting that your team is not built to hunt those guys on the other end of the floor. We're sacrificing wing defense because we think the way you play centered around Murray and Jokic is not built to make those guys feel pain. On Michael Porter Jr., on Aaron Gordon, on Bruce Brown, that's a, that's a big thing uh, for Denver going forward is to find a way to make those guys feel some pain, and we can talk about that. And the third thing... Jock Landell is plus 22 for the series. DeAndre Ayton is minus 38. And I honestly thought the Suns fans were going to boo him out of the building in game three when he finished everything soft at the rim, when Bruce Brown just yoinked, yoinked the rebound right out of his hands, when he was blowing his rim protection assignments over and over again. And I thought he actually amped up his energy in game four. He opened the game with three offensive rebounds. He actually tried to dunk on a pick and roll and drew a foul. I know it's it's a miracle. DeAndre, DeAndre Ayton tried to dunk. His rim protection was better, and yet they still cut his minutes in favor of Landale, who's just tough and gritty and will like go to the rim and do stuff, and his defense has been on point. And win or lose this series, the Ayton situation is even more precarious now in Phoenix, and I actually don't think they can win the series unless he wakes the hell up and plays a little bit better. So you pick one of those things, Chris Paul shooting Aiton and take it from here. Oh man. I mean, Aiton poetically to his credit ripped the ball away in one of the key sequences at the end of game four, uh, when he was closing the game. Uh, but I do think the biggest craziest development 
And, and there's a couple things. Yeah, Phoenix looked like a different beast on offense. Uh, but give credit to my friend Monty Williams. The craziest development, if I had to pick one of these that you just highlighted, is the emergence of these newish rotations. Monty tinkering with who's playing and who's not playing. I remember coming on the show. The last two times I've been on this show, we were like, who's the fifth guy? And we're like, oh, it's Tory Craig. And then last time I was on, it's like, who's six, seven, and eight? Isn't that the real concern here? They don't have depth. Well, that 40-point bench performance last night, Zach, to me is sort of the secret in a game that will be remembered for the heavyweight toe-to-toe Booker, Jokic, Durant stuff. It was Landry Shaman, Terrence Ross, Landale, TJ Warren. These were the exact pieces that we were really questioning in our playoff previews with the Phoenix Suns. Like this team is so top heavy. Who is going to score? Who is, are they going to be? Well, last night was the exact game you need at home in a playoff series against a great team. If you want to win, they got their, their role players. And I, I loved what you said about Shamit getting the playing time. Again, credit to Monty. We're going down with our shooters, like you said. And it reminded me of Grant Williams in that game seven against Milwaukee. Well, let's see if Grant Williams can beat us. Well, <laughs> okay. Give give these shooters open threes in 2023. You're, th- there's a chance you're going to give up 18 points from one role player out there in the corners. And that's what sort of Shamit did. Uh, and he took advantage of it and give credit to point book. So if you would have told me at the beginning of the series that Chris Paul was going to get hurt and there would be a game where the Phoenix bench would score 40 points, I would have told you you were nuts based on what I'd seen from this team in, the, in this sort of Durant era, the the whopping sample of 15 games we'd had or whatever. Uh, so I think that's the most unusual development where I'd put my hand up and say, I did not see this coming. Landale, Shamit, uh, and credit to Monty to tinkering to get to that outcome. Um, and if they can they do it in the road, or is this one of those cliche NBA moments? These guys are only going to be able to do that in Phoenix. Um, but to me, yeah, the bench and the getting the three-point shooting from the role player uh, and Shamit was was a huge part of that win uh, in game four. TJ Warren is plus 28 in 49 minutes for the series. Terrence Ross is plus 22 in either 30 or 36. I can't read my handwriting and I don't have it in front of me. I write like a, an insane person. Yeah, um, I would have not seen that stuff. That Those are the kinds of numbers. And like the Landale plus minus, what, what planet would you have? <laughs> what planet are we on? I would have never saw that coming. I like Jock Landale. Last night, man, last night was like euphoric. Booker is mm. just pulling. There was one three where they doubled him, and he was just like, I don't, I don't. Over to those two guys at the top. And if I you think freeze a, it, they, if you freeze it, they both have their hands up. Like yeah. it's a good double closeout, and it doesn't even matter. He's racing the ball up in transition without an advantage and just being like, oh, I got to take a floater here. Fine. Flo-. I mean, they're all going in. Jokic in the third quarter, just in one quarter, yeah. he scored as the ball handler in a pick and roll with Aaron Gordon. He scored on a give-and-go cut from the top of the arc. He scored from the post where he's just feasting, and they're letting him feast, which we'll talk about. He scored on when they switched the Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll, and Murray is so good at getting those switches. He goes hard and draws Aiton and says, you got to switch on me. Kick to kick to Jokic. He's got Shamit or somebody on him. Pump, go, drive, score. He scored on a quarterback keeper, a fake handoff. It was like every – he scored – he took a pin down and made a jump shot. It was like every possible way a human can score in one quarter, this seven foot dude who can't jump scored in all the ways while throwing every pass in the book. It was, it was euphoric. Like it was just like, you just watched the game giggling like an idiot. Yeah. 
Then he had that and one too. And it was like, but yeah, the Booker heat check third quarter that I think the the one we're describing with the double team at the top of the arc was just like third three in like seven possessions or something. And they're not it's, even touching. They're not even touching rim. Dude, and he had some mid-range ones where you're watching him shoot it, and you're like, no, Devin, you're not that hot. And then it goes in, and you're like, Jesus, man. Like, this is one of the best jump-shooting performances I've ever seen in the NBA playoffs, period. Devin Booker, I had it in my notes. Okay, so here's how he's getting to – so first player to record 300 points and 70% true shooting percentage over a nine-game span in playoffs all time. He's 78% in the restricted area, 68% in the paint. I had a stat the other day on Instagram. I think he's third in the playoffs in paint scoring. Uh, he's 61% for mid-range. You're not supposed to do that. And he's 51% from three. He's scoring at all three levels at elite levels, like at elite levels. Uh, and it was in big moments. The volume combined with the efficiency is insane. Uh, in a game where Jokic, in any normal playoff game, puts up that stat line, has those plays like you just described in that third quarter, and somehow Jokic is is the second bullet point in that game because that's how great uh, Devin Booker was. Um, just in incredible performances by all three of these guys, and like like Jamal Murray feels quiet <laughs> in, com- in comparison. And, I, uh, uh, I thought he was going to take over that game in the second quarter, Zach. Like he he was going pretty he was pretty going pretty good in the first half and. You know, they were, I mean, yeah, the fact that he can be that good and be the fourth best shooter or scorer in this series is, is just something like I can't remember ever seeing. And he's like got, this. you know, when they play these point book lineups with Shamit and no campaign and no Akogi, Akogi's guarding Jamal Murray. That's why Akogi is starting in the series. He's got Shamit on him. He's cooking mm-hmm. that matchup. Every like all the time, and the Phoenix is just giving it to him because they have no better options. And I, I honestly wonder if they should let him cook a little, a little bit more, just one on one sometimes, just to mix it up. The thing about Denver's defenses in these two games, like I'm not even sure what they're supposed to do. I, I don't think they're even defending that badly. Jokic is coming up to the point of the screen. They're putting two on the ball. They're making Booker give it up. The Suns are just spacing the floor with shooters in in all the right places. The rotations are more or less... I mean, they screwed up a couple of rotations out of double teams where someone was either Aaron Gordon once and I think Jokic once was supposed to zoom over to a corner shooter and they didn't do it. But for the most part, their pick and roll defense is like they're nailing all the rotations. Everything's pretty good. They have good defenders guarding these guys in Aaron Gordon and KCP and Bruce Brown and Christian Brown. And the Suns are just an awesome offensive team when they have all four three-point shooters, a rim runner, and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker handling the ball. The one thing I will say is, and we, we saw glimpses of it, but not much. I, I think they, I think I bet in game five, assuming Jokic plays, we're going to see a little bit of Jokic on campaign. And we're going to see a little bit of Jokic on TJ Warren and inverting the matchups that way. And even if we don't, I think they're going to start to treat those guys like they treat a Kogi and just say, who's ever guarding you, we're going to, those two in particular, you're going to have to make threes before we start giving you the respect that we've been giving you in previous games. In game three, they did mess around with something like a matchup zone uh, Mm -hmm. where they kind of let Jokic hang back and hand off assignments to sit on the back line and sometimes just had him guarding random guys instead of guarding the screen setter. And I thought it actually, 
in fits and starts worked pretty well. I bet we'll see a little bit more just like we're not going to just play traditional pick and roll defense every single time because you guys are just too good. We're going to move we're going to move our pieces around. The other question is if they're going to play Shamit and I mentioned Murray going at him, if they're going to play Ross, if they're going to play Warren, Denver has got to find a way to hurt those guys. And when your whole offense is Murray Jokic pick and roll and, and Jokic post ups, both of which I mean, their offense is not a problem at all. That's that's the. I'm giving them offensive advice. They scored 120 points for 100 possessions in Phoenix. I I do think they've got they they, there are other vehicles to hurt those guys, and I'm interested to see sort of what the coaching staff lands on. But it's it's become a fascinating series. Mike Malone gave some incredible post game quotes. Uh, My favorite being uh, when he was asked about Matt Ishbia and if that's different that it's an owner, and he said, "I don't give a." Uh, But his second quote, to your point after the game quick to come out and he he's one of these great coaches Zach reads the box score at the table and gives you some quick insights but he was looking at it and he was looking at the Suns numbers just going through the categories and he was rattling off their stats and he concluded you know we didn't take anything away from this Phoenix offense uh in in the first two games Denver had a defensive rating of 102 that's great you know that that would have led the league I think this year in the regular season against this incredible offense in games three and four was 128 uh so that would have been worst in the league credit to Booker you already hit all the points but I think the larger point is Denver's got to at least take something away from this Suns offense I don't know how you stop Devin Booker right now. I'm not sure there's a way to stop Kevin Durant ever, although Aaron Gordon, I thought, is doing a pretty good job. He's getting one of the things that changed in the last six quarters, and I think it's specifically like the last six, is that he Durant has kind of not figured out, but Gordon was giving him a lot of problems with his physicality at the beginning of the series. The last three halves, KD has started to look a little bit more comfortable using his quickness to get space in, in that matchup. And that's been a little bit of like part of the reason the pendulum has swung. I think. Yeah. Getting like down to the box for the mid ranger, like the seven, 10, 12 foot mid rangers, getting them off the bounce. I, I agree with that. You know, I, I don't think we're going to get Devin Booker and Kevin Durant contained. I think that's a hot take, right? No, I, I don't think, but they're going to have to take something away. Cause you're not going to win when your defensive ratings, 128, you're not, you're just not going to do that. And that was, to be fair, my concern and why I picked the Suns to come out of the West is I thought they would do this to a lot of defenses. Uh, so I'm not really mad at Denver's defense, but if they want to win two of the next three, they have to have a couple of more games like they had in game one and two where they were able to contain the whole Phoenix offense to a degree that made those games winnable. I mean, part of the reason they were able to do that was they they played – shaky shooters much more and it made the rotations much easier it made the schemes much easier it's much harder without those guys on the floor one other nerdy stat zach is uh they they blitzed a lot more on these on these screens in game four denver did uh they blitzed 29 screens according to second spectrum after doing that just 17 times in the first three games so they are they are tinkering with schemes but they got absolutely torched when they did that in game four i I think it was 1.5 points Per chance when they were doing that, which is a losing number, and, and suggests that you probably shouldn't do that to Devin Booker or, or Kevin Durant anymore. Uh, but they're tinkering, uh, and just like Monty tinkered and found something better here in these last two games, like it's up to Mike Malone now to go back home and get that defensive rating 
uh, back to where it was in those first two games, despite, like you said, now you're facing a new cast of role players that's more dangerous from the perimeter than that defensive-minded group that Monty had started the series with. I think I think part of it will be trying to make them feel a little more pain on defense. No, no pun intended. Right. Pain. Um, <laughs> and, and again, like that that's that's easier said than done, given the personnel. But I think one way to do it is run a little bit more of your split game with Jokic holding the ball and, and run those guys, run those bad defenders through picks and back screens. And they actually got a Jamal Murray dunk in game three out of that when Ross and Shamit, I think, messed up a switch. That's one way to do it. Um, and I so I think we'll see a bunch of little adjustments like that. And by the way, if Denver does go to its gimmick defense, if Jokic does go on TJ Warren a little bit or a Kogi a little bit, Phoenix will just use those guys in the pick and roll. It's a little trickier because if they roll, they're rolling into Aiton's territory. It gets a little clunky, but they can do it. It's just going to be a really interesting chess match because we knew this this series was going to be about which defense could just stop the bleeding a little bit. And yeah. in the first two games, it was Denver. In the most recent two games, it was nobody. And Phoenix just scored more points. Um, and I think Phoenix has some more levers to pull on offense. The interesting thing about, you know, We've been we've been harping on like what, why is Durant not more involved in the pick and roll game as a ball handler and as, as a, a screener? screener. <laughs> yeah, and and one of the reasons is because without Chris Paul, um, Denver is totally not totally content content enough if if they just ran a Booker Durant two man game they would just switch it because that's KCP and Aaron Gordon then they're willing to live with those matchups flipped around. Chris Paul. Durant is a different story. And we saw some campaign Durant pick and rolls last night to try to get guards switched on to Durant. I think that's something I would tap into with or without Chris Paul. And by the way, if Chris Paul comes back in this series, he's going to have to keep up with the way they're playing. He's got to yeah. fit into this faster style and he's got to shoot faster. He's got to shoot not as fast as Shamit shoots, but if he's in the Shamit role, he's got to just let it fly. And, yeah. and he's going to have to keep up with how they're playing. But Boy, oh boy, the firepower. Let me power. ask you this. Let Go me ahead. ask you this. Two questions. Who'd you pick in the beginning of the series? Suns and seven. I had Suns and sevens. How, how do you feel about Suns and seven now that we've seen four of these? Assuming Jokic does not get penal, does not get suspended, I feel, um, I feel a little bit less. I didn't. When you pick a long series, you never feel great about who you're picking, right? right? So I, feel, I probably feel a little bit less good about it because it has taken such superhuman performances for Phoenix to gut these wins over the finish line. Denver's wins were a little bit easier. Um, and Denver has home court, obviously. Uh, but I, I, I thought it was a toss-up series going into it, and I still think it's kind of a toss-up series. But it's unfolded, obviously, much differently in terms of just Chris Paul's injury and some of the other stuff than than I had expected um although we all knew that how denver would have to defend phoenix and the challenges of doing that and the shooting lever by monty williams has really been he's really been mm. a game changer um just a fascinating series anything else you want to hit on this no <clears throat> he nailed it as usual i will oh i want to hit two more things oh one thing on durant and he made this adjustment in game three he knows that blitz or that hedge is coming and he started in game three to fake toward the pick and kind of bait it, bait everyone going that way, and then dribble away and reject the pick. And he got layups and fouls out of that, and he continued to do that in game four. 
The other thing with Denver, and this is just a fascinating, unanswerable question, and they, they seem to switch it every couple of games, is whether to just go whole hog and, and tie Murray and Jokic together for almost every minute they play together. Or in some games, including last night, they'll pull Murray in the middle of the first quarter so that he can play all the non-Jokic minutes. And your brain wants to say, well, yeah, you need him on the court when Jokic rests. But if you look at the numbers, they've actually won the minutes when both of them are on the bench mm-hmm. for the full playoffs kind of handily. And they're af- after a roaring start in the series, they're now minus 12 for the series with Jokic on the bench, which has been their problem all season and was not a problem through six games of the playoffs. Um, it's just there's no great answer to it. I My gut says I like the stagger a little bit better. The numbers say I'm wrong. And maybe one of the reasons that it, it could be wrong is those guys are so good together, it's actually worth risking some minutes with both of them on the bench to maximize the minutes that they do play together. I think that's one of those coaching dilemmas that it's just it's hard to win that one every night. Last thing I'll say is um... – Michael Porter Jr. needs to needs to have one game one of these three games. He needs to do what Landry Shamit did. Uh, getting he's paid too much money. Uh, he's such a great shooter, but that's somebody I'd look forward to to having a big game uh, in in these last three games. Uh, I think he could well, change the outcome of one of them. And that's that's where you know he's shown a little bit more off the dribble stuff in these playoffs, but he's never been a forceful off the dribble player. He's never been a forceful post player. And that's one of the, you know, you can put Terrence Ross on him and it, and he doesn't yeah. hurt you. You can put, you know, TJ Warren on him and he's not going to hurt you. Um, I think this is an, this, this series, I was actually worried after the first two games and Chris Paul's injury that a series I had been looking forward to for so long was going to kind of peter out. And now it's like, I, I just need, I, I need game five to begin immediately. And I need Matt Ishbia to have like Denver needs to install a velvet rope like just around his his seat for wherever he sits in game five, the ushers need to put a velvet rope right there. And like a little sign on his seat that, that has the NBA's flopping rules. Just, just on, just attached to his seat. Just unbelievable theater. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. 
your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. More unbelievable theater. Sixers Celtics and boy, oh boy, oh boy. When Marcus Smart hit that trailing three with like two and a half minutes or 245 or whatever it was left to put Boston up 102-98 at the end of regulation and Philly at home after leading by, I don't know, they, I don't know what it got up to. It got up to double digits a few times, a bunch of times actually. Was just walking the ball up. Just walking up, crawling it up. Okay, Joel, can you screen for me? There's 12 on the shot clock. Okay, Joel's tired. Joel just sort of fades to the three-point arc, doesn't roll. It's hard work. Joel's coming off an injury. Guess I got to do something here. Oh, the shot clock's expiring. They had eight points in the first 10 minutes of the fourth quarter, I think the six or something like that. When that three from Smart went in, it just felt like, Oh man, here it is. The gut punch, the collapse loss, 3-1 down, no yep. home court advantage. It's done. Here come the Houston rumors. Here come the Embiid trade rumors. Here come the Doc Rivers rumors. And damn it, the Sixers and James Harden dug in and said, not today. Not today, Satan. Not today. We are saving our season. Harden hit a step back two with two minutes left. Then he had a later with a two minutes, 25 seconds left. Then he blew by Malcolm Brogdon. Bad defense by Malcolm Brogdon, giving him his left hand for another layup. Then he tied the game with 15 and a half seconds left on a floater uh, in which very smartly he beat Al Horford on a switch. And very smartly on that play, Doc Rivers put, put Joel Embiid on one side of the floor and P.J. Tucker on yeah. the other side of the floor so they could not switch on the way up to the pick and roll, and James Harden would get Al Horford on a switch. And then uh, Marcus Smart missed an incredible three to win the game and effectively win the series. We got overtime. We could talk about the last few possessions of overtime. Where do you want to start uh, on this one? The Marcus Smart almost game-winning shot, the James Harden actually game-winning shot. There's so much to talk about here. Jeez. One thing I don't want to forget is PJ Tucker's legendary and one that nobody's talking about today, With where 50 he also something seconds, right? Yeah. After a quintessential Marcus Smart uh, boneheaded step back three on the other end with 90 seconds left. This is the classic kind of smart shot where Celtics fans are just like, come on, man, not now. Uh, but PJ, after a Tobias Harris miss, uh, mid ranger, you know, again, Joel Embiid's looking passive. Harden has done a lot at that point. It's Tobias's turn. He misses. And if the Celtics collect that rebound, it's it's pretty much curtains to me. It's a minute left. P.J. Tucker comes crashing in and and one. And between his field goal, Zach, and his free throw, he manages to give Joel Embiid a pep talk uh, and then goes and sinks the the free throw. So hook him horns. I'm biased. He needed, he needed the pep talk because Al Horford – was eating his lunch. Oh my defense. god! And three blo- block shots in that. And one court. of them, one of them, it was a long two where it barely got out of Embiid's hand, and Al Horford just made him eat, made him eat the ball. And you never see that. It's like when Durant gets his shot blocked. It's like what yeah. the hell just happened? Yeah, if you would have told me one of those two dudes would have blocked the other guy three times in a fourth quarter in the series, I think I would have guessed the other way around. 
Uh, but credit to Al Horford, who seems to keep beating Father Time. And he, yeah, he he had he was living in between Joel and Bede's ears there in the clutch uh, in that stretch. And, and PJ saw it and got to him. But we have to talk about. Look, I'm not really critical or like bringing these things down to one game or one or one possession or one play. But we have to talk about that last possession. The Celtics should have either called timeout or gone faster. It's that simple. They were down one. That possession unfolded like they were tied. I can't emphasize this enough. That is the biggest distinction in that moment. 18, 19 seconds left. You get the ball. If it's tied, you can go slow. If you're down one, you got to go early. And you you take a look. You try to take the lead. And you're probably not going to score. And if you don't, well, then you play the foul game. You have another timeout. Now you have another possession down three if they make both free throws. That's how we play this out. Uh, and so it was a boneheaded move. They went too slow. I rewatched the play a hundred times, and I know you did too. The fact that Jason Tatum is still dribbling at the decal with less than five seconds left at the 76ers logo is a crime. Like that was bad on his part, and it was bad on the coaching staff's part. They needed to do something different than they did, and it cost them. A lot of win probability. From a nerd's perspective, it, it costs them win probability points. Uh, and I'll say that. And so I will be hard on both the players and the situa- situational awareness of, of the coaches in that last possession uh, for Boston. It was a disaster. And it has long been my pet peeve. One of my many. I got a lot of pet peeves. But one of my pet peeves <laughs> has always been when teams who are not, who are trailing, bring the ball up as if the game is tied and they have overtime sitting in their pocket. You have to get a shot off. You have to put the referees in play. You have to put offensive rebounding potentially in play. And too many teams are like, I would just play, play like, like it's like they're playing for the last shot. You can't play for the last shot. You've got to score and make the other team take a last second shot. I think it was Derek white set the screen for Tatum on that play. The screen makes contact with four seconds left in the game. It just they, they got the ball. I believe there were 18.9 18. seconds left in the game. The screen made contact 14.9 seconds of nothing. Literally nothing happened of consequence. And it was just inexcusable. That's on everybody. That's on the players. That's on the coaching staff for, for not realizing the urgency of the situation. Um, just to, and, and you knew the shot was late. Like Jason Tatum is throwing a diagonal cross court kickout pass. If you freeze it, the ball is leaving his hands with 1.4 seconds left in the game. It was somewhat reminiscent of them playing all the way down to the end against Brooklyn in game one of the playoffs last year when smart hit Tatum for that twisting layup. Uh, I believe that game was tied, but I, I have to go back and look at that. Just a disaster of a game ender. And no one will remember the smart three that almost won the game in regulation. That was a great look with plenty of time generated by Tatum attacking Maxi, which the Celtics have done a million times in this series. And it was just, it was right there and they missed it. Uh, I also think we need to talk about the last Philly possession of the game, which was the James Harden corner mm. three that won the game. And again, James Harden is rewriting the story of his career with these games. Now they sandwiched to just classic bad hard and playoff games but these two games are maybe the two best playoff games of his life 16 of 23 he shot yesterday I thought that possession was as much of or more of a disaster than the Celtics last offensive possession what stuck out to you 
on that play. It looked like Embiid was going to score or get fouled. And I'm not too critical of the Jalen Brown coming over. The thing I haven't heard talked about too much is PJ was also open on that other corner. Um, And I think, you know, Tobias had sort of sealed Marcus Smart off on the left block, but PJ was open on the other side. But yeah, like, I mean, if you've watched the playoffs the last 10 years, you know, you're not worried about James Harden at the end of these games until, you know, seven days ago or whatever. Uh, and, And he made the shot that he needed to make. The MVP is there on Jason Tatum at the crown of the restricted area, all seven foot three of them. He looks like he's going to go up, at least get a bucket, maybe an and one, more two, three. three. I'm not mad at Jalen. And and the thing I would say what stuck out to me was Joel Embiid made a hell of a pass. He he noticed who was coming over on the on the double, and he threw a pass that I don't see him make that much over to that right corner. And and then James Harden makes the shot. I'm actually not that mad at that play as much as the other play that we already discussed. What stuck out to you, though, Zach Lowe? A couple of things. And I've largely been on on the side of Joe Missoula has done a good job in his first year in Boston. I have not been on the, oh, my God, he doesn't call timeouts. So he's in over his head. He's 34. I think he's been fine. Um, I, I quibbled with some of his rotation choices. We talked about that a couple a couple episodes ago. That possession, they come out of the timeout, and I notice right away Smart is on Embiid. And Horford is on P.J. Tucker, who's on purpose as far from the action as you could possibly be without standing out of bounds, which is against the rules. Because they know they're thinking Horford might be on him, and they might you know, try to get Horford involved and help somehow. Let's put P.J. Tucker over here. And I understand the Celtics have, have for good chunks of the series, on purpose, put Marcus Smart on Joel Embiid. Even Malcolm Brogdon has been on Joel Embiid. And it's, you know, to put them in position to switch a pick and roll. It's to just throw a monkey wrench into Philadelphia's plans and confuse them a little bit. It's because those guys are good at fronting and denying the ball and just making Philadelphia waste time so that when Embiid gets the ball at the nail, he's got five on the shot clock and really not a lot of options to pass if they send help. I get all of that. Fine. I did not get why he was on him in that situation, just giving them a mismatch. And now it ended up being Tatum because they crisscrossed and Tatum switched on to Embiid. Same deal, whatever. They got no shot in, in the post against Joel Embiid. And I just thought that was getting too cute. And right away I saw that and I was like, that's... I, I get what they're doing. It feels like this is not the time to get a little cute with the matchups. And sure enough, Al Horford was not involved in the play at all. They just posted Joel Embiid and he mowed over Jason Tatum. And then Jalen Brown, you might not be mad at him. I just think that's a rotation you can't make. I, I think that help has got to come from Al Horford. It's got to come from someone on the P.J. Tucker, everyone else side of the floor. Everyone else is on that side of the floor. Help from there and count on the rest of your guys to zone up and rotate between whoever else is on that side of the floor. Do not leave the one guy alone in the corner. I understand why he did it. It's an emergency, and it's an emergency because of who you assigned to Joel Embiid. You just gave them a post-up and a red carpet to the rim. I hated everything about how Boston defended that possession, everything. And then I hated everything that came after it. And look, again, just as we talked about with Jokic, suspension possibilities, which hopefully are gone by the time this podcast posts, like... That smart shot that missed at the end of regulation. These two possessions we're talking about right now. Yeah. 
Like this is the cha- the championship odds are swinging on the outcome of these decisions. That's how big this is. These are the two heavyweights left in the East. I know Jimmy Butler is in God mode and right there with Devin Booker and Nikola Jokic and they're turning the NBA playoffs into their personal freaking birthday parties. But like I, I know that. Whoever wins this series is going to be heavily favored to win the next round. Heavily favored. This is a game that if this and game one without Embiid when the Celtics defense was awful, awful the whole game. These are losses they're going to look back on if they don't win the title this year. If they don't get out of this series, and just if they don't get out of this series, they're going to have so much regret. Now, they still have home court. They're still in good shape. They're still the favorites. Joel does not look 100%, which is big for Boston. But that's how big these moments are and how important they are. They are championship-altering moments. Yeah, Joel does not look 100%, and that's a big headline here. Um when you look at the statistics of this four-game series in the second round of these playoffs, this is the most lopsided series of the four. And the fact that it's two to two. It's based on one game. It's based on one game. The plus 41 scoring margin is based on game two. It's, it's, it hasn't felt like this talent should be a two to two situation. One of these teams is better than the other period in terms of talent. And the fact that this is two to two has come down to, like you're saying, Zach, a few late game heroics or boneheaded moves, depending on your perspective, uh, late inning plays uh, by James Harden, to his credit, um, but also some missteps by the favored Boston Celtics. This I, I'll, I'll this series shouldn't be two two. That's what I'm saying. They should have won either game one or game four, and and this should be three to one. Uh, but it is two to two, and so I I don't know. I, well, they're playing with fire, so they have three games left, and they have Joel Embiid getting better and stronger, and James Harden, who's found the the fountain of youth at least outside of the paint uh, in this series. It's it's gonna be, it's gonna come down to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum asserting themselves in Game Five like they did. What was the lopsided game? Game two. Game two. Uh, One twenty yeah, eighty seven. Game they three was also a double-digit win in the end for the Celtics. Uh, you know, they pulled away. Tatum made two shots over Tobias Harris. They pulled away in that game, too. Yeah, they should be playing a little more with a little more pace, in my opinion, especially late in the games. They're they're younger. They're faster. They should be out there running and, and challenging and beating Harden to keep up with them. And they need to have a, another sort of double-digit win in game five to, to reassert themselves. Because to me, I picked the Sixers in the series uh, before I really knew the extent of Embiid's injury and now i feel like the celtics are the better team so hand up that pick doesn't look good i still think uh the sixers are going to give them a, a problem here but if i had to repick the series i say t- they the are celtics. giving them a problem it's two two it is two, two to two. two my thesis though zach Lowe, is that it shouldn't be two to two and it's because of boneheaded plays and and coaching in game four that we're talking about it being two to two celtics should have won game four that's my hot take of the day I mean, yes and no, right? Like, it feels like that when you look at the end game from 102-98 all the way to the end. But, like, the Sixers just fell apart. The Sixers had that game, and their offense disintegrated into a puddle of nothing. And, like, they should be on sort of higher alert for, you know, can we get Tyrese Maxey more involved? Can we run some two-man actions to get hit so he's not a bystander? Now, Tyrese Maxey cannot finish at the rim against the Boston Celtics to save his life. It isn't. He is getting packed by their size every single time at the basket, but he's just a bystander 
on offense and in unless it's a fast break and 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 Boston's defense since game one this is what's more impressive about Philly winning this game Boston's defense since game one has been pretty clean game one they had a bunch of mistakes just fundamental dumb stuff Philly took advantage they stole the win on the road since then Boston has played solid defense across the board Philly's had to win that Philly had to win that game last night Boston to give it to him can I before we project forward I just want to shout out you you mentioned the PJ Tucker offensive rebound I want to give him more love by going through a couple of forgotten overtime plays that people will, will not remember smart makes an and one layup to put Boston up 112 109 with 330 left Sixers come down Harden misses a step back three Tobias Harris and and Smart jump together in a crowd. And I think it looks like they both get a hand on the ball and Tobias kind of bats it to midcourt. And then it's a chase. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Smart wins that chase 75% of the time. He's on the floor. He's diving. He's doing his Marcus Smart stuff. Tobias Harris beat him to the ball and gave them another chance. They missed again. Um, I don't actually know. I think it was a Joel miss. That was the first one. This, the second miss is the Harden miss. And if you freeze it when that shot goes up, it's P.J. Tucker under the basket. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford are like a Bermuda Triangle of guys whose only job is make sure P.J. Tucker doesn't get the rebound. P.J. Tucker goes baseline, maybe a foot out of bounds, and and like rear ends Jalen Brown to get inside position. They all jump for it at the same time. And it looks like both Tucker and Tatum and Brown, they all touch it. And the ball just like ricochets sideways off of Al Horford. They get another possession and Embiid scores to put them within one. Those two offensive rebounds, those are tough as hell plays. Tobias Harris is not regarded as a tough as hell kind of player. The first one is him. The second one is P.J. Tucker doing P.J. Tucker things. But that's... That's a tough that's a toughness sequence. That's a we are digging as deep as we can and getting as grimy as we can to stay alive to claw our way back into this game at a point where Boston gets a stop and gets the ball up 3, they're a shot away from really kind of resting control of the game. I just that sequence combined with the PJ Tucker offensive rebound like those are those are real those are real sort of staying alive kind of plays. I mentioned already I'm a, I'm biased as Longhorn, but uh, one of my favorite P.J. Tucker scouting reports came from Chris Ogden, who was an assistant coach here uh, with uh, Rick Barnes when P.J. was here in Austin. And he told me, he's like, P.J. will break your hand if he has a chance to steal the ball. Like, And it's always stuck with me. And it's, and it's sort of tracked throughout his NBA career. He's just – there's not going to be a tougher guy on any court he steps out. There's not going to be a meaner player. And now the, the, the sequence to me, again – that will get forgotten is that rebound and the pep talk of Joel Embiid. He is that toughness that the Sixers team hasn't had in many of those moments, by the way. If you look at recent Sixers playoff history, they could have used a P.J. Tucker at a couple earlier parts of this um, Joel Embiid uh, run. Another one, a bunch of stuff happens and Boston is still up 112-111. Among the stuff that happens is the bogus charging call on Joel Embiid that is reviewed for yeah. 25 minutes, a Euro step charge. I just, can we just give the benefit of the doubt to the player who is gathering the ball? Joel's gathering the ball as Marcus Smart is still moving. Let's, let's call that a block or a no call and move on with life. Anyway, Boston up 112, 111. Uh, Harden misses a shot again and another gritty toughness play. Joel Embiid's at the foul line. 
Al Horford has inside position on him. And Joel Embiid, who's exhausted as hell, who's getting beaten to all hell by everyone the Celtics throw at him, just physical, pounding, basically like an NFL lineman swim move to get inside position on Horford, gets the rebound, goes right up, falling over, gets a foul call, makes both free throws to put him up one. Just a gutsy, tough-as-hell play. What follows that is the chaos of Jason Tatum, who basically just threw Tyrese Maxey out of the way. And, like, Doc Rivers is right. Doc Rivers can get a little sanctimonious sometimes for my taste in his post-game and pre-game comments. He's right. If you're going to call that, like, we're going to sit there and and do a 10-minute review and conclude that Joel Embiid on a Eurostep committed an offensive foul on Marcus Smart, you don't need a review to see that Jason Tatum just, bam, just gave him, like, a WWF forearm shiver. Like, that's a worse offensive foul than the one you called on the big fella. And yeah. then they win the game anyway, so all's fair. And yeah, but that's it's a great point. I remember watching it in real time, and in the context of the stuff that we had just had to endure with these replays. I mean, Tatum looks like the the Heisman Trophy out there, and Maxi is the guy getting stiff armed. Uh, or alternatively, it looked like Matt Ishbia and 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 Nikola Jokic with that oh! same sort of ch- chicken oh! wing. But it did look like he was flopping, like Tyrese Maxi to me. I don't know what you thought, but I was like, no, he literally fell down. Like that was such I'm a gonna hard... start. I'm going to start like plopping onto my couch. I'm going to do the Ishbia every time I plop onto my couch. Hey, honey, you ready to watch Succession? Ooh! <laughs> but yeah, that was, it was egregious. Again, like three-point shooters. I've written this in my book and for years I've been a nag. But like the perimeter offensive players get so much benefit of the doubt. Like, if you touch them as a defender, you give them three shots. But at the same time, they're allowed to freaking give you the forearm shiver like it's WWF Monday Night Raw. And and you just have to sit there and deal with it? No, that's a charge. That shot doesn't go in if he doesn't first create space with that chicken wing. Uh, and that was going to be potentially a series-defining shot. Uh, that was a great shot by Jason Tatum after he had committed a violation to get it. Uh, and yeah, we don't talk about that stuff enough when it doesn't end up being like the checkmate move of the game, but that was an egregiously missed call in a key moment. Uh, and doc rivers, like I agree sanctimonious. Sometimes he, he, he was right to bring that back up. That was a bad moment. I'm now we're four games in. I don't know how many chess moves are left in the series, which is, we always get to that point where, where there's been kind of an equilibrium reached. I thought in game three, the Celtics took a page. The Raptors were the first team I really remember doing this to Harden on the Harden and Bede pick and roll specifically, which is to guard it in a way that basically encourages him to drive. Yeah. Like the guy on Embiid will drop back, but but kind of stick to Embiid. And they let him drive knowing we've got the second layer of defense waiting off P.J. Tucker. No matter where P.J. Tucker is, and Philly was smart trying to move him around to make this gambit a little harder for Boston – his guy, whoever it is, is going to be waiting there. So if you drive, we're, we're letting you blow by the traditional second pick-and-roll defender because the third guy is going to be there, and it got into Harden's head. It was very obvious. The Philly fans were groaning at every kick-out pass. He didn't want to shoot at the rim. He was confused. He was a little flummoxed. And I thought right away in Game 4, he saw that same coverage. He saw Al Horford giving him an alleyway, and he had made up his mind, I'm taking it. If you're giving it to me, I'm taking it. And with like two minutes into the game, he saw Horford do it, said, I'm going right at you. Bumped him, 
got it, like bumped him off and made a layup over him. And we saw that coverage here and there throughout game four, but it was less dramatic, less extreme because Harden had a different kind of mindset out of it. We also um, saw Philly do something that I, I predicted they would do before game three, which is play Maxi, Melton, and Harden more in three guard lineups just to get more shooting on the floor and not have play more minutes without Tucker and without Jalen McDaniels, who did not play in game four, to make it just to make spacing better and to make it harder for Boston to play Robert Williams. And if there's a pivot point that I'm interested in going forward, it's the Robert Williams minutes. Now, the three guards in Embiid are only minus two in 26 minutes, so it's not working super duper well. I understood why they did it. The Robert Williams chess match has been really interesting to me because Boston wants to play him with Grant Williams. They played him in game four a lot as the only big man on the floor, which is which is a, a lineup I like, but they go back and forth on how much they, they seem to like it. Ideally, they want him to either guard Paul Reed when Embiid's not on the floor or guard Tucker and McDaniels when one of them is on the floor so he can be a rover and not guard Embiid. And the Sixers, as soon as that setup is there, are removing it from Boston's toolbox. They will put Niang right in the game and say, you don't have a non-shooter to rove off. And there were a couple possessions in game four where Robert Williams guarded Niang, and it was a disaster because Niang got a wide-open three. That's just not a kind of player that Robert Williams is accustomed to guarding. There were more possessions when he guarded Embiid one-on-one because he had nobody else to guard, and that's a bad matchup for him. They send more help there. Tobias Harris got an easy kick-out three. To me, if there's a any sort of chess move left, it's surrounding those Robert Williams minutes because the Williams-Horford combination has essentially disappeared from the series. They played one minute together in Game 4. They've played seven minutes together the entire series. The plus-minus with Time Lord on the floor is very good for Boston. That, to me, hasn't matched the eye test. I haven't loved his minutes in this series for all the reasons I'm ticking off right now. Um, that I, I don't know what the resolution to that is, but the Sixers have kind of, in a smart way, tried to play him out of the series, and the Celtics tried to force him back into it as the only big man on the floor. I just feel like in their guts, that makes them nervous to not have Horford or Grant Williams out there with him for more defense, more just experience. I'm I'm interested to see where that goes. We knew that Missoula had an embarrassment of riches compared to other coaches in this playoffs, um, in which bigs are playing, which guards are playing. Uh, Time Lord is a great asset. But Horford, to his credit, as we saw in the fourth quarter, is doing a great job on Embiid. I want to go back to, to something else, like the Harden stuff. One of the craziest stats I've had looking at this Harden numbers which are insane everybody's like anthony davis gosh will you figure out which one you are and it's like well james harden's going incredible bad bad incredible james harden hasn't dunked a basketball in a game zach since october uh this dude is not terrifying in the paint anymore his free throw numbers his finishing numbers are way way down and that's an understatement uh he can't finish in the paint so to your point about the Nick Nurse defense, like, well, you couldn't do that in 2017, 18, 19. Now you can. Uh, and I think he had his best game in the paint. I was looking it up while you're talking. He was eight for 11 in the paint in um, game four. You know, in previous games, he's one for six, one for five. Uh, getting Harden into the two point area, he's not getting the whistles because of some rule changes that he's used to. 
Um, so I think that's something to watch. Is James Harden going to be able to score in the paint like he did in game four? Or was that an anomaly? Because the numbers all postseason long are been like, no, let that guy get in off the bounce and see what he wants to do once he's in there. Send help late. I think we even talked about that. So almost tempting Harden to drive is is a defensive tactic we're seeing now that we would have not seen five years ago. Uh, and and that is is something that I think is really effective, regardless of which bigs are in there. We know Horford or Williams can can protect the rim pretty well against James Harden at this stage of his career. Um, but to me, it really comes down to whether Harden can do that one or two more times in this series. He's been the best scorer in two of these games, and those are the games that they won. Uh, and that's come from great jump shooting from James, to his credit, uh, and some good paint finishing this time, but I, I mean, bringing it back to your main point, how do the Celtics defend this? I don't know. Do you want to see more Time Lord? Is that what you're saying? No, like, I don't. Do want- I don't know. I actually, I think their best look in this series, to, by the eye test, if not the numbers, has been with Horford at the five because he's yeah. done well enough on Embiid, and they've mixed up like an occasional double here, some shading, loading over here, um, and the big one is. And Bede's got no one. He has to guard a perimeter player. And so the Celtics' best offense in this series, and I think their offense has been, their offense has been, they have 123 offensive rating for the series. They're playing the right way on offense. It's just either through off-ball screening or on-ball screening, get a good matchup for Tatum and Brown and drive the hell out of it. Maybe that's Harden. Maybe that's Tobias Harris, who's guarding Tatum to start games now. Maybe it's Tyrese Maxey and just drive. And just drive like all hell to the rim. Because yes, they are a heavy three-point shooting team. But they get those threes off drive and kicks. And when you drive and there's five out spacing, either the rim's going to be there or Embiid's going to be there and Horford's going to be open. And then you're in swing, swing, swing. I think Boston's offense, some hiccups in the late, late in game one and game four, notwithstanding, the process has been correct. Which is one of the reasons, again, I don't know what the what the chess moves really are because I think their offense is playing the right way. Philly's offense, I like to see a little more juice, a little more life, um, but we know how they're going to play. It's going to be a lot of hard end pick and roll, a lot of Embiid isolations, a lot of Embiid post-ups. Like the, We know who they are, so I don't know what what else they're going to do. I think that Boston needs to hit the accelerator, especially in the, in, in the second half of these games. If you look at the pace numbers uh, in clutch time, they, they're playing at a, like a 1990s pace in, in crunch time. And, you know, like I said, James Harden and Joel Embiid are two marvelous players, but they're also slow, two of the slowest guys in the league uh, when it comes going free throw line to free throw line uh, at this stage. And the, and the Celtics, I think, can find some easy buckets if they push the pace. Uh, and, you know, I think that last possession <laughs> in, in overtime really embodied that where Marcus is bringing it up and he's just going so slow. If I'm a, if I'm a Sixers coach, if I'm a Sixers fan, I'm like, yeah, go slow, guys. That's what we want. Our guys are slow. Let's go. Let's play slow. Uh, so I think one thing that Missoula can do, and I've watched this over the next three games, is what's the pace of the Boston Celtics offense, especially when Joel Embiid and James Harden are on the floor. It's a great point. Philly's transition defense is obviously a weakness. Their floor balance can get a little wonky when Harden drives and misses, and there's you know four guys below the foul line. Um, the other thing Boston has done is clearly in game three, especially they have decided we're also going to make Joel work a lot on defense. We're going to put him in a lot of pick and roll and we're going to attack him and we're going to try to tire him out, which I think, which I think is smart. And he's been okay. 
He's averaging 26 a game in this series, which given the numbers we've talked about and that he averaged like 33 in the, in the regular season is a little low. 44% shooting. He has seven assists and eight turnovers. Um, his individual numbers, if you look at his post-ups, he's averaging 1.24 points per direct post-up. That's when he shoots or yep. passes to a teammate who shoots. That's great. You look at his ISOs. He's averaging 0.85 points per play. And sometimes an ISO blends into a post, blends into an ISO. So I think if you combine those two numbers, that's acceptable defense for Boston against Joel one-on-one. Joel's a moving target, though, right now, Zach. His first game back, he shot nine times. So game two, 19 times in game three, 26 times in game four. He's rounding back into form. Like the Celtics, one of the reasons I think they may live to really regret not winning either game one or game four is Joel is rounding into form uh, and getting stronger as this series goes on. And even though he looked really tepid to me in the fourth quarter last night, now you're playing with fire because that guy hasn't had his masterpiece game of this series yet. And if he has one in Boston, they can win. If he does a 48 point and 21 rebound game, like, None of us would be shocked, uh, and that could switch the series and switch the fate of these Eastern Conference playoffs. And, so he's a moving target. And I keep saying this, the stakes, even beyond this single season, could not be any bigger for both of these franchises. Oh, man. You have the hardened free agency looming. You have, you know, how many times can you lose in this round if you're Philly? You have... um, You have... What if Harden leaves? How do you replace him? What does Joel think of that? The the teams with teams with draft assets are, are assets are watching. And in Boston, you have Jalen Brown is almost. We're going to learn all NBA this week is is probably going to be eligible for a supermax. And their whole slogan on their T shirts is unfinished business. And if they lose in this round, how does that how does that feel internally? How does that feel internally? Will they supermax? Or is the super, is it just boom supermax? Let's let's keep running it back. Maybe I I don't know. Those those are the stakes when you get yeah. when you get to this level. Both coaching staffs too. Both coaching staffs really want to get through this series. I can tell you that because either whoever loses this, and we always talk about this during the regular season. There's going to be some very disappointed teams at the end of these rounds of the playoffs. But yeah, one of these organizations is going to make some changes. Um, if they lose this series. Speaking of stakes, tonight, Lakers Warriors, a Lakers win pushes us to the is this the last dance for the Warriors? Where do they go from here? Discussion. Um, we get to see how the Warriors adjust to what the Lakers did matchup wise and just another all time Anthony Davis riding that Golden State yo yo defensive performance, patrolling the paint, zooming out to the perimeter when he had to. How does the how do the Warriors counter that? And the stakes there are obviously enormous. Arguably the greatest player of all time can sniff another conference finals appearance. And then uh Nick's Heat, Julius Randle's gotta show up a little bit. That series has kind of been uh the fourth sister, so to speak, of this round, but you know it's 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 Nick's Heat, man. It's Nick's Heat. It's it's going to be. We almost had a we we had a, almost had a kerfuffle in Game Three when Cody Zeller and Julius Randle got tangled up, and Julius Randle fell, and they all kind of scrummed up, and Julius Randle laughed at him. Um, Kirk Goldsberry, two more games tonight. Buckle up. It's getting fun in the NBA playoffs. Thanks for joining us. Anytime, Zach. Thank you. Enjoy the games.